We are in the, in the book of the Revelation in chapter 6, if you're turning there ahead of time. But, but before we go there, uh, if, I, if I seem a little wobbly this morning, some of you have noticed my lips are a little puffy. That's not the Botox. That was, we were actually on the mountain yesterday. We did a, we did a, a Mount Adams climb uh, Friday. We overnighted, then went up to the summit and back, uh, oh, well, all of Saturday. And uh, I had a few, I wanted to share a little bit of that experience with you. So I have a few pictures. First one, this is from our base camp. There's my tent. And that's what we're going to climb next. And we're going to go over 2,000 feet up that hill. And it's, it's, uh, that's 2,000 feet of, uh, of um, a, what's it called, the uh, grade that is, it varies from 30% to 60% at its worst. That's the steep that you're climbing. There's, there's not an angle on that that shows you that. There's 2,000 feet, right? Over 2,000 feet. Okay, next picture. That's kind of what it looks like as you're going up. It's, it's, a, it's it is a steep climb, all right? And uh, um, then you get up that, that, that picture at the top that I saw you. Uh, that I showed you, see, I'm, I'm not quite all here this morning, uh, that, that uh, that's not the end of it. You get all the way up there, and there's more. What? There's another thousand feet? There's another hill to climb after that? And yet I can say that all four made it to the top. Some of us had our doubts along the way, but all four made it again to the top. And so there we are, victorious. Okay, but now that Mount Adams climb, it reminded me of something else. It reminded me, well, of life. That, that um, sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? This is a hard climb. I remember the air being thicker. I, I, I remember not having to work so hard. Why is it so steep? Why is it so hard? And you, you think you're almost there. You think it's going to be okay. And you get over that false summit. And there's all of that ahead of you still. Have you been there? Some of you are right in the midst of that disheartening, just crossing over the false summit and seeing still there's more. Yeah. Life is like that. We, we, we sang a song. And part of that song, I love the song, you will conquer every evil thing, every sorrow, pain, and wrong. They will cease with your return, O King. How long, O Lord? How long? Haven't you prayed that? In the midst of hurt, in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of sin and pain, haven't you ever cried to the Lord, how long before you make that which is wrong in this world? And Lord, even that which is wrong in me, how long till you make that which is wrong right? And yet there's the realization that to make the wrong right means that sin, the wrong, has to be judged. It has to be removed. And there's a harsh reality of that. The cost of that upon people that you know and love. And that they need to see the same hope and mercy. When, when trouble comes, whether it's a very, really steep hill, or whether it's the brokenness of life, 
What do you do when trouble comes? We're going to be in, in, in Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 7 this morning. And uh, the, this is the section where, where we work through the, the seal judgment. Remember last week, uh, Pastor Ryan described how that scene in heaven and uh, John, there's this seal. And this seal is going to be the judgments upon the earth, upon fallen humanity, upon the sin of humanity that will make what's wrong right. Finally, the righteous judge will come and the faith of those who have believed in him will be vindicated. And the scroll is there at the throne of God. It's in God's hand in heaven and yet there's nobody to open it. There's nobody to, uh, to open it up and, and bring the right. Remove the wrong, judge the wrong. And John weeps. How long, O oh Lord, how long? But then... But then he sees the lion of the tribe of Judah standing there, coming before the throne as a lamb slain for us. He is worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals to open it up because he first made the way for anyone who would believe on him accept the gift of his payment for us in our place. He has already made the way for merciful forgiveness. The escape of that judgment for anyone who will receive it by believing on Jesus. God, I believe you concerning your son who died for me in my place, for my guilt, for my sin. And so he's worthy to judge because with his own torment and very life's blood that we're going to remember at this table this morning, he first paid the way for me and for you for any of us who would believe on him. And so, we come in Revelation chapter 6, the judgment of the Lamb who is worthy to open the seals. I'm going to read uh, sections at a time. I want to read through the whole chapters if, we, if we're able to do that, because there's a blessing to those who read. I don't want to miss that. There's a blessing to those who hear this book, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss that either. So we will read as we go. Let's start with the first eight verses in, in, the, in the book of Revelation chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked and behold, a white horse, its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature, one of these, these four cherubim who are around the throne, the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third cherubim say, Come! And I looked and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarters of barley for a denarius or a day's wage. But do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a pale horse and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over, the, over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. Now there's this seal that is taken by the Lord Jesus. And he begins to open the scroll. It's a scroll that's written on the front and the back. 
How can you tell it's written on the front and the back? Well, you can, you can see the back writing, and, and if you look, peek inside that seal, you can see there's writing on the front as well. And he begins, to, he begins to break the seals. The seals are only to be opened by someone who is authorized, and I'm having trouble opening my seals. I was going to bring a pen knife with me, and I didn't. No, please don't rush up with one now. It's, I'll be fine. And you can open the scroll then so far... But then to open it further, you have to break another seal. And so there's a seal on the edge, and I've got to break that seal, and then I open it further. And then there's another seal, and I break that seal, and I can open it further. And there you go. That's what's happening with the, so only the one who is authorized can break God's seal on this scroll. And Jesus is worthy because of his death for us in our place. So as we, as we break the seals, there's much to think about even in these first four seals. And we spend a lot of time on that. I've been joking with people. Well, there's a, there's a white horse and a red horse, and then there's the famine, and then there's death. And I thought, well, the white horse must be the White House. And you can blame that on, on either the present president or the, or the last one, whichever your political leanings are. There's always an opportunity to, to name who, who the Antichrist is or was or going to be. And then, then the red horse, well, everybody knows, well, red, that's, that's, that's Russia, and Russia invades Ukraine, and then when Russia invades Ukraine, well, then there's famine, right, because they can't sell their grain, and people are going to die around the world, and the price of wheat goes up, and there's inflation, or Putin's price hike, and, it's, and, and then people are going to die as a result of that. So you see, well, we're living right in the middle of these seals. Well... Each generation will do that kind of nonsense. And that's what I want to stay away from this morning. But one of the things you'll see in these seals is, well, first the writer goes out to, to overcome, to conquer. And yet, it's not, we're not war yet. The next writer comes with a sword. So this may be more of a political overcoming and conquering. Building up a political alliance first. And maybe people think there's going to be peace in our time. Of course, when Chamberlain said that in World War II, that peace in our time was for about six months. And then the next writer came out, and there was war. And, uh, so, but, but wars are not unusual all through history, human history. And even famine, or particularly actually the third seal, is not necessarily famine. It's actually more inflation. That, that a person works a whole day in order to buy a, a measure of wheat, which is a food ration, basically, for one person for a day. So the poor people are going to, both working, in order to get enough barley. Now, barley, you can get three measures, but it's less, it's less nutritious. It was almost considered animal feed, but poor people ate the barley as well. And uh, they could, you can get more of that. So you can barely feed your family, but you've got nothing left. That's the level of inflation. And uh, the, the, uh, the, the rate of inflation is, is I, I forget, I calculated it. it it's, uh, it's, it's, I think it's like 1,500% inflation what's happened, something like that. It's, it's, it's overwhelming people. And that's not enough. Then, of course, there's the, there's the death that follows that. It's death from famines and from deadly viruses, from war, even from the wild beast. Now, the... the Powers and conquering, wars, even inflation and even famines, that's, those are things that happen in history. These, these things aren't that notably unusual. I think, the, I think the table has tilted a little bit. I think it's worse than it's been before. 
But these things could almost sneak up on the world, and we wouldn't quite know what we're in the middle of yet. Now, the fourth one comes along, and 25% of people apparently are killed. And including by not only viruses, not going to get into that, but also wild beasts. Imagine the bear, the cougar, even raccoons. Even your cat is coming for you, right? Is that, that natural fear that the animal world has of humanity because we are the walking upright in the image of God given dominion over the earth, even in the midst of our fallenness, and yet they're no longer afraid. I remember seeing a movie like that years ago, and the animals are no longer afraid of you. You thought your cat was thinking about it, right? There you go. And, and they blame it, probably, on the Christians, because that's going to lean us into the fifth seal as we come to it. Even as Nero did with the fire in Rome, and that's, that's fairly new in, in the, in the uh, persecutions that John and Christians in the, in the end of the first century are experiencing under the emperor Domitian. Again, bad things happen, and the Christians are the scapegoat for it. And so there is, even as we've seen in other, in other instances, like in World War II, the population at large easily buys into the narrative that bad things are happening and it's these people's fault. And Christians experience the brunt of that in this description that follows. And we come to the fifth seal. And the fifth seal in verses 9 to 11, when I opened the fifth seal, I saw the under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then each were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until a number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters should be complete who were also to be killed as they themselves had been. There will be more martyrs yet. They cry out, how long, O Lord, how long? These are, these are the souls of those who have already been killed. They're absent from the body. They are present with the Lord, and they are praying before the throne of heaven, how long, O Lord? Do you think your prayers matter? In the midst of what's happening on the world, do you think God hears your prayers and they matter? When you cry out with your heart uh, just, just weighted down by what is going on around you, or what's going on in your own family, and you say, oh, Lord, do you think God hears that? That's one of these significant moves that starts off everything. Yes, God hears your prayer. One of the things I want, I want you to take away from this. Have you prayed in the midst of brokenness? How long? Do you notice the tension here? This is that problem of evil that we keep wrestling with. It keeps coming up. It comes up in your life and mine. That, that they, are, they are expressing their faith in God in his sovereignty. God, can, God controls everything. He could end this right now if he wanted to. And yet God, is, God is, is holy and true. He is good and he is right. And yet, still, it continues in God's long suffering 
of humanity's rebellion. How long, O oh Lord? They are, they, they've got this tension of, of God's sovereignty and God's goodness, and yet the reality of the evil that they themselves have personally experienced it. And you wrestled there too. The thing is, in the midst of the reality, do not lose your assurance that he is yet the sovereign Lord. He is holy. He is true. Let what you see around you be a witness that what God has said to us about the brokenness of humanity be confirmed. What God has said about us, what God has said about life in this world is right on. And it hurts sometimes as we experience it. But it's true. Because God is true. And he is the sovereign Lord. And your heart will cry out how long, but he will answer and he will come. You know a fun thing in this chapter? Which seal is the martyr's prayer? Quick, quick, which seal? Is it the first, second, third? It's the fifth when they cry out, Lord, how long before you end this? How long before you vindicate our faith? How long before you make what's wrong right? We are already five seals in. We don't know from our side of it what God is doing and how he is working. You can trust him. You can trust him. Pray. Cry out. But your God is moving. We're already the fifth seal in. God has already begun his judgment upon the earth. How long, O oh Lord, is our willingness to believe God, to trust him concerning the timing? We know it has to happen. Lord, we will trust you for how long? Psalm 94 says, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. They crush the people, O Lord. And they say, they say the Lord does not see. Either God isn't big enough to see or God doesn't care. Oh, yes, he does. The prophet Habakkuk prays in, in chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Have you ever prayed that way? I have. I have. Lord, I pray, and, and you're not hearing. You're not responding. You're not changing this. How long will I cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look on at wrong? Boy, this is a bold prophet, huh? He is calling it like his experience is seeing it. God, you have to do something here because I know who you are. I know you are good. You are holy. You have to do something, sooner or later. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, and justice goes perverted. Sounds familiar? You've been there. God's people before you have been there. And our sovereign Lord, who is holy and true, will answer. You prayed this way in your heart, if not out loud. Agreeing with God about the brokenness of sin. You see, when you pray that way, it almost sounds like you're accusing God, but you are agreeing with God. God hates it too, and he will change it. Don't let the brokenness damage your faith in his sovereignty, his goodness. He is holy and true. They're pre pre 
justice has already begun to be answered. But he, he gives them a word of encouragement while they wait. To be assured in verse 11. First of all, to be assured of their own cleansing. Look at verse 11 again. They were each given a white robe. They were, they were assured of their cleansing before God. Their right standing. They're, assured. They're given a covering. They are assured of their own forgiveness before God. He has already made them right. His judgment of, of humanity's sin first began 2,000 years ago. He's already started. And that's the white robe that they wear. The forgiveness, the righteousness upon them which comes through the death of Jesus Christ in our place. They're given a white robe. They are, they are, um, they're, uh, they are told to rest in confidence that God will do what he says. They're told to rest, to trust, to abide just a little longer. God will act. It might not be on our schedule, but they're not told, sorry, God just decided that's going to be too harsh. I just can't do it. I can't follow through. That's not what they're told. They're told just a little longer. It's going to be longer, but it's coming. Your prayer will be answered. There's going to be more suffering. There's going to be others also. Perhaps their fellow servants in their own time era and perhaps brothers and sisters in the church age continuing even till now. But there will be an end of it. And that end of it comes in the sixth seal. Let's pick it up at verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island were removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones, the generals and the rich, the powerful and everyone, both slave and free, all levels of society, they hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? That's the second question I wanted to focus on. I want to focus on that question, oh Lord, how long? Because you've been there, I've been there. And I want to focus on the other very important question in this section, which is when the day of his judgment comes, and now with the sixth seal. Okay, we've had wars before. We've had people taking power. There have been world empires before. We've had famines, and we've had pestilence. We've had plagues, and we've had, we've had uh, death on a large scale before. Maybe this is bigger still. But now with the sixth seal, there have been these cataclysmic events on earth and in the heavens that have convinced the world at large that the day of God's judgment has arrived. And realizing that they are going to stand before the sovereign Lord who is holy and true, the question is now, who then can stand? Who can stand before the Lord in his day of judgment? That's a very important question. I could entertain you all day with, with the uh, uh, four horses. But this is the question that we need to face. When God's judgment comes, who then can stand? 
The description here fits Joel chapter 2, which indicates that there are indicators of the arrival of the day of the Lord, God's ultimate judgment, and they recognize it. Joel, Joel, Joel describes the same kind of thing. I was reading in Isaiah this week. I've told you before, you want to understand the book of the Revelation, you need to read Daniel. You need to have a handle on Ezekiel. You need to read certain parts, especially of the book of Zechariah, and I've got to add most all of Isaiah to the list. You need Isaiah too, sorry. This is your summer reading list, okay? Uh, start with Isaiah. And I, I was amazed that the descriptions just popping out of me. Wait, I just read that over there in Revelation. And there it is in Isaiah as well. God's judgment has arrived, and the second question comes forward. And the question is answered in Revelation chapter 7. Chapter 7 introduces us. Now, I, I, I forgot along the way, and the Folks running the AV back there probably, well, Bob, you skipped something here. We, there's, there's this series of, of, uh, of, of seals and then judgments, or rather, rather trumpets, judgments, and then bold judgments that happens in the book of the Revelation. Let's put that image back up if we could. I blew right by this earlier. So you have the seven seal judgments. That's where we are. And I take it those are occurring in the first half of that seven-year tribulation period that's given to us through prophecy, particularly the book of Daniel. And the seventh trumpet now includes, or the seventh seal, the seventh seal judgment, we haven't got there yet, that's going to include all seven of the trumpet judgments. And within the seventh trumpet judgment, we're going to have seven bowl judgments. And there's some similarities in some of these judgments that some people want to suggest that, well, maybe it's just three times telling of the same thing, but using different words. But the details of it don't line up that way, so I'm going with this approach. But there's also what I wanted to point out is there's interludes. There's a pause in the ongoing action of the judgments now and again because God wants us to know things along the way. He wants us to know what is this about, what's happening, what's the answer to that question, who can stand, is the first interlude. And then there's another question, there's another interlude in chapters 10 and 11, after we go through the trumpet judgments. There's, there's two interludes there again, to remind us, before the final cataclysmic judgments and the coming of the Lord, there's another pause that, that takes us back over the kind of the whole panorama of what has been going on through time with humanity and on the earth and in the heavenlies with the principalities and powers, the prince of the, of the power of darkness. How does all that fit together? So there's a, a pause in the action to describe that as well. And then we'll come to the final bowl judgments. So that's a trajectory of where we're going. The seventh seal will include all the judgments as follows. Because it includes the trumpets, and in the seventh trumpet includes the last series of seven, the seven bowls. But we'll pause along the way, and we come to that first pause here in Revelation chapter 7. The question is, what was the question? First question is, how long, O Lord, how long? We sang that one, so you got that one. The second question is, when it comes, who can stand? Let's get into chapter 7 and answer that question. There's two, two scenes Answer that question. First of all, there's the 144,000 out of Israel. Chapter 7, verse 1. I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds. God is sovereign, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea against, or against any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth 
or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 of them. Sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from Judah, 12,000 from Reuben, 12,000 from Gad, 12,000 from Asher, 12,000 from Naphtali, 12,000 from Manasseh, 12,000 from Simeon, 12,000 of Levi, 12,000 from Issachar, 12,000 from Zebulun, 12,000 from Joseph, 12,000 from Benjamin were sealed. Now there's some different interesting aspects of this list of the 12 clans or the family branches coming from Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, who was renamed Israel, and that's where that whole people comes from. And if you're, if you're, if you're familiar with that background, you'll say, oh, wait a minute, there's, Dan's missing here, and Ephraim actually was replaced by Joseph, but Joseph's other son is still in there to, to cover for 12 since Dan was left out. And we can suggest maybe why those things are, but that's really not the point. The point is, when God's judgment comes, who can stand? Hold off on the judgment, heaven says, until I have sealed his chosen ones with this seal of protection. God's own seal of protection will be on his own, will be upon his servants, that they will be protected from his judgments. They will not be protected from the evil of the earth and the evil of humanity and even from the beast that's to come, but they will be protected that even as Passover, the Passover lamb sheltered the Israelites who believed God's word and applied the blood of the Passover lamb to their home, they were protected from the judgment that fell upon Egypt that night and all the firstborn died, except those who were in a house that was marked by the blood of the Passover lamb. They were protected from that judgment, and so it is here. They are sealed Hold on the judgment. Don't let anything happen. Don't harm any more of the earth. Don't harm any more of the inhabitants of it until. Don't you break that seventh seal until God has sealed his own with his protection and keeping. And particularly, these are Israelites. And I'm convinced these are real, genuine, ethnic, descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob Israelites. I think the, the language and the specifications of the tribe, you can't allegorize this over into the church today. There's another group that's going to contrast to them in just a moment. But that sealing by God, there's something we share there, isn't there? Do you remember that in Ephesians chapter 1? That having believed the gospel of your salvation in Jesus, that you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the down payment, who is the earnest, who is the guarantee of your future inheritance. You have been sealed as his chosen one. You are, if you believe, have believed in Jesus and thus been sealed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit of the living God, you are sealed by his protection. Who can stand? Those who are God's chosen, who he seals, whom he protects, whom God himself will keep. One of my favorite teachings of Jesus is when he's talking about those who believe in him. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give to them who believe me eternal life and they will never perish and no one is able to Take them out of my hand. My Father, he says at the end of John chapter 10, my Father who gave them to me is greater than all, 
and no one shall take them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I love that because that tells me that I am safe in the hand of Jesus, my Savior. I am safe in the hand of Almighty God. I am kept. I am preserved. I am sealed. Nobody can take me out of there. In the day of his wrath, who can stand? Those whom belong to God. Those, are, those who are his own. Those who are his chosen servants whom he has sealed. And there is going to come a day in the future when out of Israel they will look, here's Zechariah chapter 12, they will look on him whom they pierced and they will mourn. They will grieve as one grieves for an only son. In fact, it's the only son of God whom they had rejected. And yet now they believe. And now they are sealed and kept. Who then can stand? Chosen by God and sealed and preserved and kept. Peter says, you are kept by God for an inheritance which is also being kept or preserved in heaven for you. You are secure for the future that God has secured for you. Judgment is coming. Who then can stand? Those who are sealed and kept and protected by God himself. Let's see another example of that in the next verses from verse 9. After this, okay, God is going to fulfill his promise to Israel. He is going to, and I take these 144,000, these 12,000 from each tribe, I think they are going to be witnesses like 144,000 Apostle Pauls. Imagine it. Paul described himself as one born out of due season. He described himself as one born ahead of his time. This might be what he's referring to. His ministry is going to be like their ministry. There are going to be lights in the midst of darkness. They are going to be sealed and protected witnesses of God and his Lamb and the gospel in the midst of this terrible time. And not only that, now in verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, not just Israel, not just Judah, not just Benjamin, not just Joseph, but from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. That's a reference back to Palm Sunday, the arrival of the King. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what the palm branches are about. Palm branches in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, well, who are these clothed in white robes? Where have they come from? I said to him, okay, this is, you didn't know this was going to happen, but the angels might be asking you questions in the future, so you do need to study, okay? Read your Bible. Who are these, the angel asked him, and John says, okay, John's clever here. John says, uh, sir, you know. 
And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. We will abide under the shadow of his wing. They shall hunger no more. They have hungered, but they will hunger no more. They have thirsted. They will neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them any longer while they're exiled or hiding in the desert, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When God gets angry, And God says, the time has come. God says, I'm not putting up with this foolishness any longer. I am not tolerating this rebellion anymore. When God's wrath boils over and consumes the earth, who then can stand? Those who have washed their guilt away in the blood of the Lamb, who have made their robes white by faith in Jesus Christ, They not only stand, they not only endure through the judgment, they stand in the very presence of God before his throne. And he will shelter them. And the lamb will be their shepherd. Psalm 23 belongs to you. Yeah, it does. From here it does. We have hardship now. If you haven't even reached the false summit, and there's more, there's much more to climb. Some of what's ahead of you will be hard. And yet, his future, your future with him, his future for you is secure, and there's a day to come when you will hunger no more. Your longings will be satisfied. You will thirst no more. You will not be worn out by the intense heat, but you will be with the Lamb of God. You will be before the throne. And God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. You know what that tells me? There will be tears, brothers and sisters. You've been there. You've you've shed them. We've shed some of them together. There's a day coming when he himself, not just, okay, don't worry, that won't happen anymore. No, no, he will comfort your heart so tenderly and intimately. He will wipe those tears away. The day that trouble comes, who then can stand? These chapters remind us that things are not yet right. Things are not yet as they should be. There's a longing within us for the injustice, the grieving, the loss, the sorrows of this broken world to be healed. The next song that we're going to sing, it reminds us that earth has no sorrow, that heaven cannot heal. So I encourage you, be counted among that innumerable number. There's an invitation in Psalm 36 that we read earlier. 
How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. Reminds me of another prophecy out of Isaiah, chapter 55, where he says, Oh, if you're thirsty, come ye to the waters. You that have no money, come, buy and drink. Buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why do you spend your money, your, your energy, your strength for that which does not satisfy? Come to me, and your soul shall live, says the Lord. Have you believed on him as your Savior? Is it your genuine hope that he will shelter me beneath the shadow of his wings? That no matter the trouble that I may be in the midst of, I am rightly accepted before God, not on the basis of my own cleanness, but because he has covered me with his righteous robe and I belong to him. Have you believed in the Lamb of God who took your place? I ask you that. Even as the worship team comes now, we're going to sing this next song because we're going to come back to this table where we remember that. We celebrate that. We participate in that reality together. We feed our souls on the promise of the gospel that Jesus himself died for me. Oh, come to that water. Receive his life. Let's pray. Father, we do pray. Lord, first of all, for any here who do recognize the brokenness of the world around us, the brokenness of our own humanity, and wonder when God would judge the world, who then could stand? Oh, Father, we stand in Jesus. Oh Lord, would you open the eyes of faith to be able to see, believe, trust in Jesus who died for each one of us. Father, then in his life, in his security, would you, Lord, fill our hearts with that hope. Even as our souls cry out, Lord, how long? Would you help us to trust that you are indeed the sovereign Lord who is holy and true and to then be able to share that wondrous hope with the people around us, we pray.